Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to episode number 62 of the Marine Lair podcast. We have our Mariners off-season wish list. Both Lyle and I have put together what we want the Mariners to go after this off-season, and we will discuss. We have a short MLB wraparound, some playoff games being played this week, and we'll also close out the show with Speak Your Mind. This show is brought to you by Pagacha's Pub 85. Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. It's just east of 405. There's plenty of room to park. And by the way, once you get in, guys, it's one of the best places you can hang out. You want to watch the MLB playoffs? Go over to Pagacha's Pub 85 and do it. There's 22 TVs in the place. So if there's games overlapping, you can put games on multiple TVs. You can sit back and watch. You can eat some great food. They've got some great pizza. They also have some great drinks. And if you want to go get some great food and some great drinks, especially during the weekday, by the way, well, they've got some happy hours. Happy hour is Monday through Friday, 2 to 6 p.m. And they've got some specials like $3 domestic beers, $4 Manny's Blue Moons, $4 Mac and Jacks, $4 Wells, and $4 House Wines. So Go check it out, Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. We really can't recommend it enough. And before we start the show, your reminder to check us out on our audio platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Follow us, download, leave us a five-star review. The reviews and the downloads help us out a ton, so just take a couple extra seconds and do that. Then watch us on YouTube, video side of the podcast. Like, comment, subscribe, turn the notification bells on over there. And on social media, we promise we'll be active all off-season. We've already started. Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube Shorts, at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Thursday, October 5th. Has the dust settled yet? settling i think it's getting better and better here what about you day by day i think it's settling a little bit here at the start i think we are going to discuss just a little bit jerry went on the radio today to clear up what he was talking about on tuesday in his postseason press conference and he went on seattle sports today to a apologize for using a bad choice of words is what he put it and trying to clarify what exactly he said in the press conference setting on Tuesday. And both you and I listened to the entire thing of what Jerry said, and I thought he said the right thing. That's what he was supposed to say as the leader of this organization, as the leader of the the president of baseball operations for the Mariners. That's what he was supposed to say. And now my thing next for Jerry is it matters what he does next. Look, The damage had already been done, right? People were upset. He said what he said in the Tuesday press conference. And you and I differed on opinion about this a little bit in terms of could he go on the radio and make up for the things he said by taking back his words? 
what I think is he cannot fully take back what he said, but I absolutely do think what he did on the radio here on Thursday did some damage control. It's not perfect. He can't go back in time. But the things he said today along the lines of he felt embarrassed, he understands why the fans had so much outcry, he understands why they have so much passion to win, and he understands that the goal of this team should be to win every single year. And he said, look, our goal is not to win 54% of our games. It came out wrong. So I think for the time being, what Jerry said was what he was supposed to say. Ultimately, what it's going to come down to is he's going to have to execute and improve this roster significantly this offseason. That's what people will be watching for. However, for the time being, I think he did the right things. I think it was necessary. He went on the radio to take back those words. And now we let the offseason start. He's not going to get everyone to forgive him. I think where you and I differed the most, it's like, Jerry's going to go on the radio and he'll make everything right. And I was like, well, I don't think he's going to make everything right in most people's eyes because I think what he said on Tuesday has more weight than his apology on Thursday. Because when people say something and then they apologize for it, you don't have to accept their apology ever for anything in life. You, someone screws up and they try apologizing to you. You don't have to accept that apology. And that's how I kind of thought about that. So people say, okay, well, this is how Jerry operates in a setting he thinks he's in control of. And then it goes on Thursday. It's like, oh, actually, he's not in control of the setting anymore because he screwed up. And it's now on the fans to either forgive him or not to forgive him. And you know what? From all all of what you and I have seen, I'm sure there's an entire, there's a massive contingent of people who will not forgive Jerry for those comments. And they're going to hold it over his head for the entire offseason for years. They could. This is the stuff that gets put on YouTube videos of why did the 2020, 2020s Mariners fail? Oh, their general manager once said, yeah, over a 10-year stretch, all we want to do is win 54% of our games. Like, doesn't that, isn't that something that shows up in a secret base video? I feel like that's slam dunk what would show up in that. I, I think there's a very similar quote from Howard Lincoln in one about the 2001 Mariners, if I'm not mistaken. It does. Yeah, Howard Lincoln said it's not actually our goal to win the World Series. So that was a Howard Lincoln quote. Is it also fair to say that these fans that you're mentioning that say they're going to hold this over Jerry's head and never forgive him also have already had bones to pick and are probably just adding another thing to their list? I find it hard to believe that if there were people that were pro Jerry before this and then heard this and now say, oh, I'm never going to trust Jerry DePoto ever again. I find it hard to believe there's a large number of those people. I'm sure they exist, though. I'm sure there are some people who are turned off by the comments because what again what jerry said on tuesday was more gm speak than fan speak and if you open up your secret formula to the fans and tell them this is how we think about building a winning baseball team and they're like well i i just don't know if i agree with that even even if jerry thinks it's right the fans don't have to think it's right so even if you apologize for it that's still how they do think about this, though. And that's for the fans to either accept and move on, or they're just not going to accept and they're like, okay, well, I'm just not a huge Jerry fan. But it is what it is. And now, like you said, the most important part of all of this is happening in about three weeks from now. The World Series will be over and the offseason will start. And that's where Jerry can really make his waves with the fan base. 
Yeah, if Jerry makes a big splash this winter and really improves the roster, people are going to forget about this. The Mariners have a bad offseason. You're absolutely right. People will not. And these comments will circulate again. So it's all on Jerry. It's all on the front office to do the right things and really get this roster to the point it needs to be where they can actually compete for an ALS title and a World Series in 2024. Speaking of that offseason, Lau and I put together our offseason wish list. So let's get to that. I think this is fascinating because you and I decided to come at this from different angles. I'm going to go first because yours is a little bit more complicated. I picked two guys for my offseason wish list. This list could be much longer. There are a lot of guys I think would make the Mariners better. However, I thought these would be two good ones to discuss here on this podcast. Up first, Blake Snell coming off one of the best seasons of his career, a shoreline native. At age 30, started all 32 games this season, 2-2-5 ERA and 180 innings. He struck out over 31% of his batters, and I think he's the front runner for the National League Cy Young, and he's set to be a free agent this offseason. He is a Boris guy, just to clarify. He is a Scott Boris client. However, he did grow up in Shoreline, and I think there might be some linkage there of a guy getting nostalgic and wanting to come come home to his hometown team that he watched growing up and now has a chance to be part of a successful Mariners team. Seattle royalty. Look, Blake Snell, baseball aside, he is still a Seattle guy through and through. He's a Seahawks fan. He's still a massive Washington Huskies fan. Seattle's in his blood, and he has not ever let that go. He talks about it all the time. The flip side of this is, like you mentioned, he is a Boris client. So that leads to the question of, would, do you think he would take any sort of hometown discount to come to Seattle? Maybe. I'd be curious to see what his market is because he has a very interesting profile. Now, let me clarify what I mean by interesting profile. Lyle, how many outs did Blake Snell record in the seventh inning or later this season? When you texted me this yesterday, my initial guess was zero. It's nine. Nine outs recorded in the seventh inning or later. In 32 starts, he recorded nine outs in the seventh inning or later. That's pretty remarkable for a guy who's probably going to get frontline starter money or pretty close to that. So he doesn't go deep into games. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he throws a lot of pitches because here's what Blake Snell does. He will strike a lot of guys out. His case per nine are usually in the double digits. He also walks a lot of batters. Yeah, 13%. That's his walk rate. And that's <laughs> that's pretty absurd walk rate. And if you think about philosophically, he's not really a, stylistically a Mariners pitcher. Mariners pitchers, as you saw this season, walk the fewest batters of any staff in baseball. Well, Blake Smell is the antithesis of that. He walks a ton of batters. He's not George Kirby. He's not going to go deep into starts. His stuff is really good, but it's all over the place. So my thinking here with signing Blake Snell, not only is he a hometown guy who would want to come home, but this would lead a little bit into yours, where this would be contingent on the Mariners dealing away some of their young starting pitching and putting a more proven commodity in the rotation. 
Yeah, so little spoiler, we're not going to get to my list yet, but the reason we're talking about starting pitchers here is because it is a little bit of a part of a grand plan for how the Mariners could get more bats here in the lineup and impact bats at that. So we'll get into that more a little bit later, but Blake Snell would fit into that mold. The only thing is, again, this this goes back to the question of him being a Boris client in the sense of one, would he take a home count, a hometown discount to sign with the Mariners? Because you know he's a Seattle guy and loves the city probably love to be home. But the other part of this is, would Scott Boris let him take a discount? Because what does Scott Boris do with all his clients? He makes them get in bidding wars. What do the Mariners do? What does Jerry DePoto do? He'll say, here's our offer. We're not going to deviate much. We're not getting in a bidding war. You can either take it or leave it. So does that feel like the type of guy that the Mariners would sign combined with the fact that he walks a ton of guys? Well, Scott Boris doesn't get to make the final decision on where Blake Snell signs. Blake Snell gets to make that decision. So I think I'm thinking more that Blake Snell, Blake Snell's need to go home will override Scott Boris's need to get the most money possible for his client. It is entire. It is realistic that Blake Snell just wants the most money and credit to him. He's earned it. He has pitched incredibly well this season. Here's a, Fun fact, Lyle, did you know that if Blake Snell wins the Cy Young this year, he'll have twice as many Cy Youngs as All-Star Game appearances? That's crazy. That really is crazy. Yeah. That's, you can't find many people in baseball history that have that. That's a pretty complicated stat to look up, but it's pretty bizarre for Blake Snell. Regardless, he would bring a very high-end, high-upside guy to your rotation with high-end stuff. And still at 30, he's thrown as hard as ever. His off-speed stuff is really as good as it gets in baseball, especially his curveball, one of the best off-speed pitches in baseball. My uh, One slight downside with Blake Snell, Lyle, uh, he doesn't know what WRC Plus is. Kind of a red flag. Maybe we can teach him if we ever had him on the podcast. Seema, here's how I think interviewing Blake Snell would be. He could be a super cool dude, never met him before, but he's in the Cody Bellinger tier of always looking stoned. (laughs) Well, he is from Seattle. Yeah, it fits right in. Here's Here's my other question, too, about Blake Snell. His career has been very up and down. So do you trust a guy like that to be in your rotation where year by year, you you almost don't know which version of Blake Snell you're going to get? Because you'll have seasons like this year where he's one of the best pitchers in baseball and competing for a Cy Young. And then he has years where he doesn't really have his A-level stuff. So here's how I look at this. His career ERA is 3-2. And the thing is, he's never truly bad. The two highest ERA marks of his career is a 4-2 ERA and a 4-2-9 ERA. That's not bad. That's just not Cy Young level. And it's up to the Mariners front office to decide if the the effect of, hey, one year we might get a 2-9 from Blake Snell and another year we might get a 3-9 from Blake Snell. But if they still think the stuff holds up and the expected profiles are fine, and all this other stuff. If you go look at his expected numbers, like his his expected ERA and such, it doesn't vary all that much from year to year. It, for example, his expected ERA in his first Cy Young campaign in 2018, and then a year later in 2019 when he had his 
highest ERA of his career at 429. The expected ERAs are almost identical. So sometimes run scoring is a little bit fluky and a little bit dumb lucky. And that's up to the Mariners to decide, hey, I think that luck will iron out and he'll be a good pitcher for us. And if he pitched that well in Tampa and his expected numbers hold up, which much like WRC plus are not ballpark dependent, then Seattle could be a great place for him. We know how great Seattle treats pitchers. Could only help his ERA here, we would assume, right? Yeah, I think so. And that's, I think, another big pitch to free agent pitchers. Blake Snell's not the only guy I think the Mariners will attempt to talk to, especially in the pitching market. You can never have enough pitching. If you have an opportunity to get a great pitcher to come in here, I don't think the Mariners should hesitate. They've already convinced, again, Luis Castillo, a blue-chip guy, to sign an extension here. They convinced Robbie Ray to come out to the Pacific Northwest to sign a long-term deal after he won won a Cy Young. I don't think it's really all that unrealistic for the the top-of-the-line starters to just to, to come to Seattle and sign. If you pay them a fair amount of money, I think there's a lot of incentive for those guys to come pitch in T-Mobile Park just because it's such a great pitcher's park. This fall, stream your favorites and discover more with Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and ESPN+, Plus together. Watch the highly anticipated new season of Loki and see the ghosts materialize in Haunted Mansion on Disney+. Plus. Catch more frights with The Boogeyman and American Horror Story Delicate on Hulu. And on ESPN+, Plus, get into the action with college football and NFL. All of these and more streaming now. Get the Disney Bundle with plans starting at $9.99 a month. Plans with ESPN Plus starting at $14.99 a month. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Okay, my second guy on my wish list. I'm going to put a disclosure here before I read my second guy. I'm a fan of Cody Bellinger. I would be okay with the Mariners signing him. I think you and I differ a little bit, but there's a couple reasons why I don't think Cody is a realistic Option, so that's why he's not on this list. First of all, he's also a Boris client. However, he is a Boris client with zero ties to the Pacific Northwest, and he also happens to play the exact same position that the Mariners' best player plays, which makes him an odd fit. And I would imagine a guy who's out on the free agent market would want to play the position that's going to get him paid the most money. So Cody Bellinger is going to go somewhere and play center field. It's not going to be in Seattle because Julio Rodriguez has that tied down. Okay, got that out of the way. My second player is Mitch Garver, a catcher slash DH for the Texas Rangers this year, coming off another phenomenal season in 87 games, a near 900 OPS, a 138 WRC+, walking 13% of the time, 19 home runs, 50 runs driven in, and despite playing poor defense, was worth over two wins above replacement. I think he's got one of the more underrated bats in baseball. And despite his injury history, he's never played over a, he's played over 100 games once. It was 103 in 2019. But if the Mariners could tap into some of that bat, he could be some thump they've been missing in that lineup. I'll bet you there's people listening to this and you say Mitch Garver and you're talking him up and they're like, Mitch Garver? Mitch Garver. It's like, who's Mitch Garver? Well, it's not a household name, but if you're serious about getting production, this is a guy you'd want to consider. 
Now, I certainly have my questions because the guy is on the field half the season every year, and that's a little bit of a red flag. But if you're just talking about his bat, that's a real bat when he's on the field. Look at what he's done in Texas this year. He's been awesome. He's been a catalyst when he's been in the lineup. And you talk about the Mariners needing offense. If he stays on the field and you sign a guy for a price that probably wouldn't be that lofty, makes sense. And since his defense sucks, you don't even have to catch him. You could just make him your DH, make him a bench bat. I don't know if they want to teach him to play first or something, but I think that bat is too good where you could still get away with signing a backup catcher, putting him on the roster, and then just have Mitch Garver be a bat in your lineup, just a bat. And I don't know if the catching has led to his injuries or if he's just a more of a, a brittle person in general. But if we're talking upside of his bat, I want to take you back to his 2019 season with the Twins. That Twins team, by the way, is the team that the Atlanta Braves were chasing this season. And the Braves eventually tied the all-time single-season home run record for a team, 307 home runs. So Nelson Cruz led that Twins team in slugging percentage. Mitch Garver was number two. I mean, a guy you've probably barely heard of burst onto the scene in 2019 and slugged 630 in 93 games, 359 plate appearances. He hit 31 home runs. Isn't that absurd? 31 home runs in 93 games. Slugging 630 as a part-time catcher who played less than 100 games. That's the kind of pop this guy has. And the Mariners build themselves off of, you know, we're going to control the strike zone, we're going to hit the ball hard, and we're going to hit it for optimal damage. Well, that's what Mitch Garver does, and I don't think he'd be all that expensive. Just think about how much 31 homers in 93 games is. Mitch Garver plays a full season. He's what? Close to 50? Over 50? Yeah. So you need you need to be sold on a bat. Again, this is not a household name, but it is a real bat when he is on the field. And for what it's worth, he has played some first base in his career. So if you needed to play Mitch Garver at first base, he could play some first base. If you need him to catch once a week to get Cal Raleigh off his feet, you could do that. Because you know what? They let Luis Torrens catch. Garver's defense is not good, but it's probably a little bit better than Terenz's. So you can let Garver just mix in a catcher just to get Cal some days off his feet. But again, he can play some first base. He can definitely DH and he can hit. And you look at his WRC plus numbers. It says, again, he's not a product of some hitters park. He played in Minnesota and he's played in Texas now, which that new Texas ballpark is huge. He could, he could hit here for sure. And this is, I would say, again, for the people who think we're bargain bin shopping for this free agent market, Mitch Garver, if you stack it up against this entire free agent hitter class, might be a top three hitter in this class. I'm dead serious. I think he might be. So I'm thinking about this. Oh, and we should give a disclaimer, by the way, before we even get to my list and continue this conversation. You may have not heard one specific name on TJ's list. You're also not going to hear said specific name on my list. So let's just get this out here. We don't have Shohei Otani on our list. Why? Because big shocker, we think the Mariners should absolutely sign Shohei Otani and pay every single penny that it costs to get him. But I think the conversation ends right there. 
We want Otani. How much more is there to say? That's not interesting. So does everybody, right? And we don't have Teoscar on our lists either because we also think the Mariners would be better off if they just re-signed Teoscar Hernandez. But he also, we already talked about him all season. And <laughs> so I don't think he needs to be on either of these wish lists. Right. So, and, and they may just give Teoscar the qualifying offer. There's a chance Teoscar would take that. We'll see. So he may not even get to free agency. But yes, about Otani, we obviously want him. We're trying to focus on other guys here in case, A, they don't get him, and B, what their backup plan could be. So back to Garver. You talk about the top hitters in the class. Otani obviously is one. Who else is in the mix here? Teoscar probably is. Jorge Soler probably is. Oh, Cody's number two. Yeah. So it's Otani, then Cody, then some mix of Teoscar or Jorge Soler. I guess Matt Chapman, although he was kind of a one-month wonder this year. That's Yeah, that's probably it. So that's why I keep scrolling past Mitch Garver. I'm like, yeah, they have to. It, like, if we're talking about bats that can make impact and won't cost an arm and a leg, Mitch Garver's your dude. Production. That's what you want. And by the way, for a power hitter... He really doesn't strike out all that much. He only struck out a little under 24% this year. That would be a guy who <laughs> doesn't strike out at all if you're looking at the 2023 Mariners team. And you're like, yeah, 24% sign me up. So that he brings all of those facets along with walking, along with the power, along with just being a really good hitter at the plate. His walk rates are usually 10% or better. So he gets on base too. He's not just going to swing and miss all the time. Exactly. So I, I think they should do it. I think he would be reasonably priced. I think there's a variety of ways you could deploy him. He's not going to be a guy who's going to suit up 162 times a season into your lineup and produce. You understand that whilst, while you have him on your roster, but I think the upside there is a little bit too much for you to just ignore. And I would agree with that. Are we about ready to move on to my list here? Let's do it. Okay. And I liked your list for what it's worth. I think those two guys are very viable options for the Mariners and two guys that would make a lot of sense, especially Garver. So if you're a Mariners fan out there and you're thinking about all the headline names and not any of the second tier guys of who can make some real sense for this team while also adding impact, I would put that name on your list. I would highlight Mitch Garver and I would keep track of him all winter because he's a guy that would make a lot of sense and probably isn't going to cost a lot of money. Okay. Before we get to my list here, Quick word from our friends over at the Columbia Athletic Club. Columbia Athletic Club Juanita Bay in Kirkland is a full-service, family-owned athletic club that's been inspiring healthier lives since 1981. Amenities include all-new strength and cardio equipment, free weights, basketball and squash courts, saltwater pools, hot tubs, and so much more. Included with your membership are group exercise classes with the likes of yoga, Zumba, bar, group power, and cycling. The best promotions of the year start now through the fall season. Get started with a free five-day trial today at ColumbiaAthletic.com. That's ColumbiaAthletic.com. Okay, I have one guy on my free agent wish list in terms of signing. And the reason I have one guy is because it is going to be parlayed into what could be a couple of different trades. So we're going to break this up into three parts. The first part is going to be the guy I want to see them sign. So let's start with that. The free agent I think the Mariners should go and acquire 
Aaron Nola of the Philadelphia Phillies. Do not just ignore his ERA. I ask you to ignore his ERA for the season because it's in the four fours. Aaron Nola here in 2023 has some great peripherals, including an XERA that's about 3.7, an XFIP that's about 3.6, and he put up nearly a four war. Listen to the difference here, people. Blake Snell's about to win the Cy Young. His F war for the year was 4.1. Aaron Nola, who's probably going to be significantly cheaper than the guy who's about to win the Cy Young, 3.9 F war. That ain't much of a difference. No, it's not. And we did touch on it a little bit in in Blake Snell. War is a volume stat. You do get more war the more you play. And as we mentioned, Blake Snell doesn't play a whole lot because he doesn't pitch deep into games. Aaron Nola, that's one of his specialties. He is one of the best at pitching deep into into baseball games. I think Aaron Nola would be would be great. He's not a he's not a Pacific Northwest guy at all, but he is cheaper. And he does make your rotation better. Could you imagine a front four of, or sorry, let's let's just skip to the to the to the All Star break and say, okay, just imagine your five of Kirby, Gilbert, Castillo, Ray, Arenola. That sounds pretty nice to me. It's pretty good. And then you've got some depth behind it with the two rookies here in 2023 with Wu and Miller. You'd have Emerson Hancock, and you have Marco Gonzalez coming back. So that's a lot of depth. And speaking of war, TJ, I know you know baseball as well as just about anybody that I know, but could you tell me off the top of your head just how good Aaron Nola's been by war? Career? No, just by season. Like, which season are we talking about? I know he has a 10-win season under his belt. Well, I'm just talking about Van Graff's war over his career as a whole. I'm guessing you cannot rattle off his year-to-year F war off the top of my head. So what I'm getting at here is, let me just read it out. Because, look, Aaron Nola's had a really good career. He's been an all-star. He's been a great pitcher. He's pitched in the postseason. But let me just outline what this guy's done over his career, all the way back to the start of it. 2017, again, this is all Fan Graff's war. Four and a half. That's really good. 2018, five and a half. 2019, three and a half. 2020, shortened season, two. So you prorate that to if it was a full season, that's probably about five or a little bit more. 2021, just under four and a half. 2022, 6.3. And then just under four here in 2023. Does that sound like a model of consistency? That sounds like a guy that you know exactly what you're about to get. What's pretty bonkers is if you go on baseball reference instead and look at his 2018 war, I'm pretty sure that's the season he he had over 10 wins, which is quite a stark difference from his five wins that he had on fan graphs. But consistency, yeah, and the Mariners could use a little bit of that. I mean, those are all-star numbers. Those are, that's an all-star level pitcher by war every year. Nola is healthy. He's on the field. And he just cards dudes up. And if we if we even want to get away from war here, he's a Mariners, he is he's like a Mariners blueprint guy. This is a guy that you want to talk about dominate the zone, which is a Mariners philosophy. He doesn't walk anybody. This year, honestly, his walk rate was up compared to a lot of years. It was in the 87th percentile, which is still phenomenal. Last year was in the 99th percentile. 
2021, it was in the 92nd percentile. So you've already got George Kirby and Logan Gilbert who aren't walking anybody. And then you throw Aaron Nola in there. Those are three guys that dominate the zone. And you just think about the polar opposites with him and Blake Snell. They, they could not be any more different. And yet we sit here today and I think you and I would be happy if they signed either of them. Really, we would be because the notion of what the, the message that gets sent when you do sign them is we, despite all of our pitching talent, still want to continue to get better. And Aaron Nola would make this rotation significantly better. You throw him out there on any given start, there's nothing for you to worry about. And he's not going to walk a bunch of guys. He's going to pitch deep into games and he's going to give you everything you want and give you a chance to win baseball games and win probably more than 88 games in the rotation. Oh, yeah. Now, there's things Nola can improve on. I'm not going to sit here and say he's Randy Johnson. Like, what he's thrived on most of his career is the effectiveness of his curveball. His run value off that curveball, especially early in his career, it was up toward 20 a lot of years, which is nuts. And it's come back down to earth massively ever since. So if you want to look at ways Nola can improve, his curveball could get a little bit better. His fastball was a little bit more effective in 21 and 22 than it was this year. It got hit around a little bit harder in 23. So there's things he could improve on. But the Mariners have been pretty well known to help a lot of these pitchers and up their game. They've done it with Luis. They thought they could get more out of Luis Castillo than Cincinnati was getting out of him, and they have. I think based off what Nola's done in his career, they could absolutely get him here and just make him that much better. So we've outlined that, right? Are we ready to talk about what this could parlay into? Paint the bigger picture for me. You're not just going to have all these arms sitting together. In fact, it's too many, as great of depth as that would be. That's a lot of arms, not enough innings to throw, and the Mariners need bats. So we've outlined two trades here, and I'm going to start with the lesser of the two, but it it still would be impact. The Mariners and the Cardinals were linked a lot at the trade deadline, right? Mariners needed bats. Cardinals needed arms. Both guys, or both teams have young arms and young bats, respectively. So let's circle back to St. Louis. Let's look back at Bush Stadium and see who the Cardinals could give back in return if the Mariners were to give up a young arm. So here's what I've circled. This is trade number one. The Mariners would send Bryce Miller and Michael Arroyo, infield prospect, top five prospect in the Mariners system, to St. Louis, and in return, they get Jordan Walker. Now, in sense, this does sound like a pretty even trade. The Mariners are giving up a young arm with six years of control for a former top three prospect. He was top three, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was. So that seems to work out. You're, you're by, you are giving away an arm to buy a bat. That's what you want. You, this is you trying to not only get a controllable bat, but to get a high upside bat who could play at the corners because I think that's where his his real strength is. They You mentioned they tried throwing him out there in the outfield this year. Wasn't a really successful experiment. But in Seattle, the way this roster is currently structured, if he wanted to claim a corner and just start hitting, the Mariners would would let him and he could occupy the third base or first base and be a masher at at a loss that you could easily take because if you sign Aaron Nola love what Bryce Miller's done like you don't really need Bryce Miller as much and he becomes a little bit more expendable 
and you can give Bryce to a team that really, really needs starting pitching. So let's outline Walker's defense here a little bit. Negative 14 outs above average. That's really bad. It's in the first percentile. The other part of that is Jordan Walker should not be playing the outfield. The only reason the Cardinals threw him out there is they said his bat is ready. We have to get him in the lineup. And he's a guy that came up as a third base prospect and as a corner infielder. You look at the Cardinals infield and John Mosellock and the Cardinals front office is saying, well, how in the world are we going to play him? We've got a Hall of Famer at third base and a Hall of Famer at first base, Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. And oh, by the way, we also have Nolan Gorman, who is an infielder. So they said, how are we going to play Jordan Walker? Well, let's try to put him in the corner outfield spots and see what happens. He has a good arm. Didn't work that well. If you move him to Seattle, then all of a sudden it opens up opportunities for him to play in the infield because Eugenio Suarez, free agent after 2024. Ty France, free agent after 2025, and we will see how long he's on this roster. I'm not saying the Mariners would definitely move him. We've also talked about we don't think his roster spot is locked down secure next year. So at the very minimum for a year, Jordan Walker could play the corner spots. He could DH. If you had to throw him in the corner outfield for a game or two, you could. But it's a bat that has five years of club control and thunderous upside. Look, it's not a proven bat this second. But it is the idea that over time, especially sooner than later, with him being the prospect he was, he could be a masher in the middle of this lineup. And this makes you think of the type of player Jerry wants, young and controllable. If there's something he's been consistent on during this five-year stretch he's had shaping the roster to his wants, young and controllable players are what Jerry shoots for. And that's what Jordan Walker is. I think our next guy doesn't quite hit the as young and as controllable, but man, I think I think it would be fun. It would, and, and we're just about to get to him, I promise. The last thing I wanted to say here on Jordan Walker is a lot of people tab this guy as having a disappointing rookie season, quote unquote, because a lot of people picked him to win rookie of the year for just how it just how exciting he was as a prospect. Well, sure, he wasn't Corbin Carroll. Put up a 116 WRC plus as a rookie. He hit 16 bombs. He had 37 extra base hits for a guy that was 21 years old. And by the way, got sent back down to the minors at one point. 116 WRC plus as a 21-year-old rookie? Oh, that's pretty good. If I were the Mariners, I'd jump all over that. And this is a guy that just mashed his way through the minors, even as a young kid put up a 936 OPS in 2021 through A ball, low A and high A, 900 with 19 bombs in 22 in double A. It's a 20-year-old. This guy can hit. This is a guy that you're banking on to continue to develop. It's not a proven, proven bat this second, but it would make a lot of sense. It's a really high upside bat. Mariners would have arms to give up. I think this trade could make a lot of sense for both sides. Yeah, I think it would be a big a big impact and you know, that connection between the Mariners and Cardinals. We haven't seen anything really tangible to back that up because there hasn't been massive there hasn't been a, a trade like this, but I think a trade like this would you know, would really show that. I think this would make a big impact on the Mariners. I'm I'm a big fan of your first idea here on the trade market. Yeah, they haven't made a big trade since Marco was brought over here for Tyler O'Neill. But Jordan Walker and Bryce Miller, that's a step up. So, and that was yeah, a very similar situation. 
Yeah, I was going to say that trade was also six years ago, and and you're talking about players that have much higher ceilings than than the other two did. Okay, that's trade number one. I'm asking for people to strap in and buckle up here because this is trade number two. This is how the Mariners truly get an impact bat in the lineup and really potentially turn the tides here in 2024. So. We look to the Chicago White Sox and Luis Robert. This is who I'm targeting as the Mariners' second trade. We have briefly talked about him on this show before. The Mariners, all of a sudden, if they sign a starting pitcher, have the pieces to give up the haul to go get Luis Robert, a true top 20 to 25 player in this sport and a game changer that could turn this franchise in the right direction for a long time. Do you remember when we sold on him at the trade deadline, though? I think that's funny looking back at it now that we're like, yeah, this guy's the franchise changer. <laughs> Man, this dude has uh, has just upside for days. We're talking about 38 home runs this season, a 128 WRC plus and five fan graphs wins above replacement while playing amazing center field defense. That's all the tools right there. If I'm checking my boxes. Now, the cost to get a player like this is not light. And it's going to be much heavier than the first trade we just threw out for Jordan Walker. So I wanted to try to ballpark this trade as best as I could. I did not want to throw this trade out there and make it seem like, oh, what are you talking about? You're just throwing anybody in there to go get a premier player like Luis Robert. So. We know a couple of guys here at Just Baseball, both Jack McMullen, who's the third guy on the Just Baseball show. I guess he's the one guy on the show we haven't had on here yet. And then Elijah Evans, who's a White Sox guy that does a bunch of great stuff at Just Baseball. You can check out all their work. I was talking to them today and I said, we're going to throw this idea out there and I want to try to ballpark this trade as best as I can. So I threw out a couple of ideas for what the potential return package would be. Here's what I've landed on. And again, buckle up. It's Brian Wu. Cole Young, Jonathan Classe. That's what it would cost to get Luis Robert. And look, that's a haul. But Jerry DePoto, as Jeff Passan put it, it's time for him and the Mariners to get uncomfortable. They're in a position to get uncomfortable now. And if you're a fan out there that says they need to make impact moves right now and go get serious impact bats right now, well, then you cannot also be a prospect hugger. So if you're serious about the Mariners wanting to win right now and you don't get Otani, The rest of the free agent class is not strong. So if you're serious about a true impact bat like this, get uncomfortable and do not be a prospect hugger. Because me personally, I love Brian Wu. I think he's got frontline starter potential. I think Cole Young has skyrocketed up the prospect list for good reason over the last year or so. But this is what it costs to get premier talent. And the Mariners do need to win right now. And it's not just premier talent. It's premier talent under club control through 2027 2027 that's another four years of that's four seasons yeah four seasons of control of Luis Robert (laughs) that's worth Brian Wu and Cole Young if I ever thought it listen those guys are great I don't know I don't know if Jerry would ever trade both those two prospects in the same offseason to be honest I don't I don't I don't think Jerry would Knowing how Jerry operates and how he thinks, I I don't think he would trade those two, especially Brian Wu. But 
if you're told me where the Mariners are getting Luis Robert, I do it. I do it because we've already talked about, you can already supplement your rotation and negate the loss of Brian Wu. And oh, by the time that Luis Castillo and Aaron Nola, uh, a Robbie Ray gets old and starts falling out of the rotation. Well, I assume by then you would have developed somebody else in your sustainability plan to come up to the major leagues and start and be a good major league starter. So you can not feel the loss of Brian Wu. I think this ma- this makes so much sense. It does. And I sound kind of like a hypocrite after, again, selling on the idea of Luis Robert at the deadline. Well, now we know the Mariners are in put up or shut up mode. And this is more, this is a put up deal that if available, you have to do. So just to clarify really quick, when you say you don't think the Mariners would trade those two prospects, you, you mean Wu and, and Cole Young, right? Because the only thing I was going to say is, yeah, so I don't think they trade both Bryce Miller and Brian Wu in one off season. I think if they were to trade either, it would only be one. I think they're trying to keep some real starting pitching depth. I depth. I do not think they ship both those guys out of town. So it would be one or the other. But I do understand your thinking of, yeah, Jerry wouldn't trade Wu and Cole Young in the same offseason. That said, again, the Mariners do need to win right now. They have a window open. They need to capitalize. And we keep using the phrase, they need to get uncomfortable. Now to your point, we talked about how we weren't exactly sold on the idea at the deadline. Let's just be clear. Does Luis Robert help the team strikeout problems? Absolutely not. Luis Robert strikes out a ton. He strikes out 29% of the time. That's in the 14th percentile of the league. He chases and he whiffs even more than that. Whiff rates in the 10th percentile. Chase rates in the 3rd percentile. He will strike out. And he's also not going to walk a lot. He's never had a walk rate above 5%. Just pin that into your head. Luis Robert will not walk. And he's going to strike out a lot. In that way, yes, it's a little bit like Teoscar Hernandez. Does Luis Robert make a mega impact on this team? You bet your ass he does. Luis Robert is one of the 20 best players in this sport when he's healthy. He mashes the baseball. The 38 home runs you mentioned, that was ninth in the league this year. The 128 WRC plus you mentioned, that was 18th in the league this year. The five war you mentioned, 24th in the league this year. That is an impact bat. He wallops baseballs. And the Mariners need that badly. And this is a White Sox organization that they just hired a new GM, right? They did just hire a new GM. Mm -hmm. I got that correct. And I don't know what direction they're going in. And if you want a direction to go, like you have a valuable trade chip and foundational pieces to build upon with Cole Young and Brian Wu. I I think the trade would make sense from their side. They just need to be willing to trade Luis Robert. If he's in any semblance available, you got to be at the front of the line asking. Like this this outside of Juan Soto is about as impact of a bat as you could get on this trade market. And you know, we don't know if they're going to get Juan Soto. We don't have Juan Soto in our wish list because we don't know how realistic that is. But Luis Robert given that he's on the trade market, yeah, that's realistic. And I think that would make this team significantly better across the board. Four years of club control is so much because that contract of his goes through 2025, but then there's two club options. There's two club options. So the Mariners obviously are picking those up if they trade for him. And assuming Robert continues to play like the player we all expect him to be, 
Yeah, that's four years. And we haven't even gotten to this part yet, TJ. Luis Roberts' defense, impeccable. He had 13 outs above average this year. That was in the 98th percentile of baseball. Now, you can't have two center fielders, and I don't think they're moving Julio away from center field. And it's kind of tomato-tomato with Julio and Robert. They're both phenomenal center fielders. But if you put Luis Robert in right field, Jared Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez, Luis Robert left to right. That's the best defensive outfield in baseball. Without a doubt. There's no question. And you can shuffle. Luis actually primarily would play. Yeah, he would. Yep, he'd be, he'd be your right fielder. There's so much. The, the, the upside of this trade is is just so, man, just to think about it, that would be that would be so much fun. And the power potential of this team, if, if, if Jerry truly still wants to be that guy to build this roster around punishing the baseball rather than be more contact oriented, it's what Luis Robert does. He he punishes baseballs and he is, yeah, he's, he's great. I think Jerry should do it, do it, do it. If it's available to you. Barrel rates in the 93rd percentile expected slug in the 92nd percentile hits the crap out of the ball, runs well, plays great defense, hits bombs. Yeah. He'll strike out a lot, but again, what are the Mariners going to do to improve the offense? They have to do something. The first half of the year, they were one of the bottom 10 offenses in baseball. Go do something like this. I would hate to lose Cole Young. I'd hate to lose Brian Wu. But you've got to do something to improve this lineup. You just have to. And something like this, that makes a difference. And Luis Robert this season is coming off the first, essentially full season he's played at any professional level, really. It's been really pieced together. He comes up in 2020, I'd say, Technically, did play a full 2020 season, 56 of the 60 games at age 22. But then you look after that, and in 2021, he only played 68 games. Then last year, got a little bit better. He played 98 games. But now he's up to 145 this year and staying a little bit more healthy. That is one thing you have to be concerned about is can he stay on the field and can he stay healthy? But you know, if you're giving up those guys, I think you believe that you're getting 145 games out of Luis Robert every single season. The health is one concern, but again, who else are you going to go get? So I think that should be a potential trade that not just the Mariner circle, but fans should think about. I think that's a realistic one. I think it makes a lot more sense than Juan Soto. Not only does Luis Robert have way more team control, Juan Soto doesn't play any defense. So get some guy, get a guy that'll be here for a while. I'm, I'm sticking to that one all off season. Will it ever happen? Maybe not, but doesn't mean we can't wish for it. I'll say that much. I think that'll just about wrap up our wish list. And this is our initial wish list. I'm sure as the off season goes on, we'll highlight some more guys. We'll target some more guys. I'm sure when the Mariners make acquisitions, we'll talk about them, but that's our initial wish list. And I think we thought it out pretty well. And I think every move would make a lot of sense. Yeah, so we we covered the, the the free agent options or a couple of them. I'm just not. The thing is, I just don't know how like how into free agency Jerry's going to get. I just don't know if he's really proven to us that these free agent guys are realistic. The ones you suggested, like that, might that very likely is what might happen 
And people are not only in front office, people are going to get uncomfortable. Fans are going to get uncomfortable. Some of these notable names, they might have to give up this offseason to get better. But I think it'll all be in in the right sense of mind. So that's good. Before we talk a little bit about these playoff games, let's hear a little bit from Simply Seattle. They have a whole bunch of new gear out with all the stuff Jerry said this week. Simply Seattle jumped on the opportunity to make some creative options around the Mariners press conference on Tuesday. They have that and a whole line more of Pacific Northwest themed gear on their website, simplyseattle.com. They have all your favorite Mariners gear, Seahawks gear, Huskies gear, and more. Everything in the Pacific Northwest you could want. Sonics as well. They have you covered. You can use our code MARINE15 for 15% off your order at Simply Seattle for all the best gear in the Pacific Northwest. While we wrap up the show, Lyle, let's touch a little bit on these playoff games that happened this week. The wild card round was this week, and I got to say, kind of a boring wild card round. We got four sweeps. Seems to be a theme of these wild card rounds. Not a lot of them so far have gone to three games either year. No. And that just is how a three-game series operates, really. You don't have any margin for error. When you have no margin for error, two two fuck-ups equals you're done. Think of the Rays. 99 wins, and they're 2-0 and out in the playoffs. That's it. Nearly a 100-win season, and they score one run in 18 innings against the Texas Rangers. That sucks. Also thinking the Mariners may have not fared well against the Twins if they had played them. No, I don't think so either. I think the Mariners would have gotten maybe, what, five total hits off the Twins <laughs> pitching staff in, in two games. I, I think that's pretty fair. Something like that. And my God, Johan, there we go. Johan Duran is so good. That guy is absolutely filthy. And watching him pitch in these playoff games shows you what a closer like that can do in the postseason. I mean, he just carved right through that Blue Jays lineup. Blue Jays lineup that's got a good offense, by the way. I know they had their hills and valleys at times this year, but pitching prevails in the postseason. A couple of big things, speaking of the Blue Jays. First, Vladdy getting picked off in that huge situation in the fifth inning. Just just unfathomable to get picked off in a situation like that. Bo Bichette at the plate, two on, two out, trailing in the game, facing elimination, and you get picked off of second base. Oh, my God. But is that even the worst decision in that game when John Schneider took Jose Barrios, who was just who was who was pitching pretty well? He had pretty good stuff starting that game two for the Blue Jays, and the Blue Jays take him out after walking the leadoff batter in the top of the fourth inning. After he had not allowed a run yet, he had not allowed any run yet. And not only do they go to the bullpen, they go to the bullpen to bring in Yusei Kikuchi. The man himself, all 14 hours of sleep, out of the bullpen, and oh, shocker, you say allows two runs. It's tough out here, isn't it? Look, the Blake Snell thing was bad back in the World Series, but three-plus innings? How? Like, like, what's going on in that front office? We're analytics nerds, and we're sitting here saying, what are you doing? Overmanaging. But the thing is, I don't even think it was John Schneider who made that decision. That that call has to come from the front office. I don't think any manager in baseball is pulling his starter in an elimination game after one walk and no runs allowed. I, I don't see that. 
I don't. I don't either. I'm sure it was predetermined before the game started. I have no doubt it was predetermined before the game started, but man, it was just ridiculous to see in real time. And the Blue Jays didn't score any runs, so maybe it didn't make that much of a difference in the end, but still kind of a head-scratching decision, I will say. That series really reminded me just, I couldn't believe the Twins had not won a postseason series in 21 years. That's, that's incredible. 2002 ALDS was the last time. That's, Isn't that, that's incredible. They hadn't won a playoff game since 2004. I could not imagine. Like the only thing worse than missing the players, the playoffs for two straight decades like the Mariners did is making the playoffs and not winning a single game for nearly 20 years in the playoffs. That has to be excruciating, but happy for Minnesota. They managed to get it done. One thing I want to note. I'm so happy for Paul Seawald. Got to close out both games and the Diamondbacks going on the road. Heard a lot about the Brewers and how good the Brewers were and how good that pitching staff was and how they could sneak up on the Braves and the Dodgers and and the Brewers got swept at home. I think I'm rooting for the Diamondbacks if I have to pick a team the rest of the way. Because again, Paul Seawald's there. Paul Seawald is still an honorary Mariner. Like if you look at Mariner's Twitter, when he's pitching, especially in these playoff games, all these Mariners fans are just cheering his name and rooting him on. They're they're watching invested like he was still a Mariner, which I mean just shows the impact he had here. Mariners fans still root for Paul Seawald every step of the way, and I know both of us are too. So to see him get saves in both of those games, especially to finish out that series and do his trademark Paul Seawald scream, that was pretty cool. One last note I had on these games. I the bar is already set pretty low, but I could not believe the Tampa Bay Rays only did not draw more than 21,000 fans for either of their playoff games. They had tickets going for $8 for a playoff game. I'm sitting here pissed off because I paid, what, $350 for my playoff ticket last year to sit way up in the third deck in right field behind the foul pole, and yet Tampa Bay has a playoff game. They can't get more than 20,000 people to show up. Dude, the reverse boycott had more fans at it than that playoff game. Yeah. (laughs) That's incredible. I know the situation with St. Pete being so far away from Tampa, but that's just ridiculous. I, I don't know how 20 more thousand people didn't think, oh, yeah, we should probably go to a playoff game. Yeah, for $8, too. I mean, they really got to get that team. Sounds out like a bargain team. to me. They do. And I know they're not going to, but they really should. They should. And, but the problem is the owner already agreed to build a new stadium in the same location. And I don't know why they did that. I don't know why, if they're going to get a new stadium, why you wouldn't just put it in Tampa. But what do I know? We're not an owner. Maybe we should be. Nope. I guess my last note is because we've touched on three of the four series. Last note on these wildcard round games are the Marlins probably just were not a playoff caliber team. No, no, not without Sandy. They, they really struggled. The Phillies had a pretty easy way with them in in those two games. And your two starters are Braxton Garrett and Jesus Lazardo. Lazardo's got good stuff, but mm, man, they just did not have it. And they don't have the bats either. So, yeah, probably not. People will people on the in the Mariners sphere will probably say like, oh, yeah, we would have easily made the playoffs in the National League. It's like, well, yeah, National League's probably a little weaker. And this is a 
pretty glaring example of it. If it had been Sandy and then Yuri Perez in the two games, maybe it goes a little differently, especially if Yuri was on full rest, but that wasn't the situation, and they were just pretty outmatched. Phillies Braves is going to be a pretty fun series here. It's a rematch of last year, two high-powered offenses, two very, very emotional fan bases, intense fan bases. Yeah, it's going to be pretty fun. And now that the now that the Brewers got knocked out, the Phillies might have the only starting staff that can line up against those bats, I would think. I mean, just look at how the wild card series went. I mean, you had the combination of Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola going for 13 and two thirds, allowing one run. Now, imagine having those those guys pitch potentially three combined times in a five game series against the Braves. You, you can make it work. And that might give you a chance against one of baseball's all-time great offenses. That's going to be great. I think it's going to be great television. Okay, let's get to Speak Your Mind. Speak your mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. All right, Lau, what's on your mind this week? Well, kind of staying on the topic of the playoffs here. I've really opened my eyes and realized over the last couple of years, and I'm thinking about it more here now, October's the best month of the year. And I used to never think that growing up because we've talked about this here on the show. I hated school. I hated going to class, everything. I mean, like you couldn't draw up many more things I despised more. But now that we're not in school anymore, I can sit back and realize, well, look, summer months are great. I do love the summer. But in October, as a sports fan, you got the MLB playoffs. You got the NFL in the full swing of things. You got college football in the full swing of things. You can even throw the NBA and the NHL in there that are about to start. It's the best month of the year to be a sports fan. I love October. October is one of those times where I'm probably not planning all that much because I'm going to sit back and watch sports basically all day. Wasn't the stats starting this week? There's 50 consecutive days of football between the college between college and the NFL. Yeah, because I think Maction's going to start soon and like Conference USA games and things like that. So you just can't get enough of it. You you turn on your TV, there's going to be sports on. You don't have to plan that much. Although I totally contradict myself saying that because I talk about not having to plan much as if we're not heading on a trip here in less than two weeks. But you know what? For the most part of October, you can just sit back and watch sports all day if you want to, especially on those weekends. It's a pretty good observation, and there's some fun things around Halloween, too, and, and Oktoberfest, if, if you're living in the right area, to celebrate that as well. There are there are a whole bunch of things to do in October. That's a, that's a pretty good point. I'm trying to think if there are any other months I would compete with. I would say maybe July, because I like summer weather, but if the weather isn't the deciding factor for you, I totally get why October would be it. And it, you also avoid all the holidays where you're forced to see family and, and do all of that. October, you're just focused on watching football and playoff baseball. So who can complain about that? Exactly. I, I say that, like, I'm talking this through here. Can I put October over July? Like, barely. Again, just as somebody who's such a huge sports fan, I guess barely. And the thing is, I love summer weather way more. And the things you can do in the summer are so much fun. But as sports not like we are, it's just... You can't ask for more. You really can't. So October, pretty good month. It is a pretty good month. My speak your mind is, I think I've realized really 
since this college football season has started and and I've been working in college football, I think nothing has opened my eyes more to the importance of work-life balance than what I've been doing the last month and a half with this podcast, with my work at the radio station, with just life in general. I, I haven't realized how really how important it is and why people emphasize it so much until now. Because you know why I bring this up? Because my work-life balance sucks. It is awful. And I'm, you know, I'm gonna be making a commitment from here on forward. I have lots of commitments that I have to see through the end of the season and and things I've agreed to do and and work I need to do to to pay rent and all that stuff and things that are just part of my job and part of this podcast as well, which I really enjoy doing. But I've realized now that I I can't do I I don't necessarily know if I can do all of this again and make it healthy because I, I, I don't think it's very healthy. And this is me speaking from now personal experience right now that if you're listening to this, don't overwork yourself. Make sure you have a good work-life balance. I think you'll be a lot happier that way if you have a diversified portfolio of things you do in your life to keep you happy, which again, for me right now, working doing all this work, I don't think is it. But like any good investment banker, you mitigate your losses and you diversify your portfolio. And I think you'll end up doing doing okay. And I think that's really sort of come to fruition over the last couple of weeks. And just thought I'd say it on here. What is your life balance in Corvallis, Oregon, though? Because we talk about work-life balance. Like when you, when you have the life half of it, like, like what, do you, what do you do for fun? Go get Hawaiian barbecue, I guess. The last three weeks, I haven't had any. Like, I, dude, I don't even have time to like watch TV. It's bad. Like, it's bad. I'm, I'm serious. Like, don't. I don't recommend to anybody to put the amount of work on your plate that I have done these this last month and a half because it's it's not healthy. I don't think. So, I I, I wish I had an answer for you, but I don't because I've been, <laughs> I've been working so much. And sure, like seeing the dollars show up in 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 your bank account is nice, but you know. It doesn't always make you happy to 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 see that when when all you do from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed is you're working on something. And some people say, oh, well, you're being productive. And as long as you're advancing something in your life, which I feel like I am, it's productive. But you need to be able to take time to relax, which I don't think I've done a very good job of, which is why I'm looking forward to our vacation, because it's not going to be a fully relaxing trip, but I won't be working on the trip. <laughs> not at all. So that'll be a big difference there. And, you know, I'm just saying, don't overwork yourself, guys. It's not always worth it. Yeah, we're not going to be sitting oceanside for seven days straight, but it's things we are very much not just looking forward to, but choosing to go do. So it it is a vacation in that sense, for sure, I would say, right? Yeah, well, we don't have to We'll have everything pre-planned for this podcast that entire week. That's why next week is going to be so incredibly busy is because we're going to be making sure we have everything good to go for you guys. So while we're on vacation, we don't have to worry about it all that much. Just, you know, taking a break from the normalcy of, of everyday life and experiencing something fun. And that's what I think people need to make an emphasis to work into their everyday lives. Don't only rely on vacation. You need to rely on things you do every week to, you know, break up the 
the I don't even I forget the right terminology of it, but the the normalcy I guess of of your your day to day life and, and and working and such. So I think that's something I need to do a better job at, and I think it's important for uh, for people to know. That's why I thought I'd talk about it. Definitely, and and like TJ said, and I'll just reiterate it: we absolutely love doing this podcast. We wouldn't be putting all the work we put into it if we didn't. We wouldn't be the we wouldn't be doing the two shows a week if we didn't. Like we absolutely love sitting down and doing it. But to TJ's point. He's absolutely right that every person deserves to be able to sit down for a few hours throughout your week at least and just take some deep breaths, relax, and do what you want to do. So work-life balance, good lesson. I, I think you're absolutely right. I, could, like, I, I couldn't put it any more simply. I have not had time to sit down and watch a full Sunday of NFL this season. You know how much that, that like pains me that I have not been able to do that from the amount of things I'm trying to do? I have not been able to do that and it it's it's kind of frustrating i'm not gonna lie because i love watching nfl sundays i love waking up at 9 30 sitting my ass down on the couch and watching football from 10 a.m until 8 30 p.m when sunday night football is done and i have not been able to do that a single time this year i don't know if i'll be able to to be honest maybe not until like christmas which is just awful it, it's not good so if you like watching nfl don't don't do it don't do it Work-life balance, that's the key, as TJ puts it. So, yes, it is. I think that'll just about wrap it up for this edition of the Marine Liar Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you want to listen to the full-form podcast, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Follow us there. Download our episodes. Leave us the five-star review. I know we stress it at the beginning and end of each show, but we really do mean it when we say the reviews and the downloads help us out a bunch. So just take a few seconds to do that. Watch us on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe, turn the notification bells on. We've got a whole video side to the to the podcast here too. It's over on YouTube. And then follow us on social media, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube Shorts. You can follow us there at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 